Last week we started a series, and uh, the series is, is called, as you'll see on the screen behind me, The Culture of Redemption. And um, the goal is to really um, understand what it means to, to be a, the body of Christ, and specifically the, the culture of our church here at Redemption Durham. And last week we looked specifically at worship, and I mentioned last week that as we look at the distinctives, the key features of the Church of Jesus Christ and our church culture here, we looked at passionate worship as being really the the overarching umbrella for all of the other distinctives, all of the other core characteristics of who we are as the Church of Jesus Christ here as this body. And uh, we saw last week that passionate worship really is the pinnacle of all of the other distinctives. Every other uh, distinctive is really a servant of that one right there of becoming more passionate worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we want to talk about uh, what is incredibly important to becoming a deeper, more intimate, more passionate worshipers of Jesus Christ, and that is uh, by being a church that is filled with fervent prayer, uh, a culture uh, that is, is really rooted around and driven by fervent prayer, fervent communication with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to just begin our time um, by praying right now, and then I want to launch into I'm talking about prayer this morning, so join me as we pray together. God in heaven, we bow before you this morning. Father, thankful that we can do so. God, even the fact that we can speak to you right now, the fact that, Lord, we are invited into your presence, the fact, Father, that we are invited to call you Father, that we are enabled to cling to your throne of grace, all of this, Lord, is made possible because of your love for us through Jesus Christ. We come to you, God, and we plead with you, we cry out to you, we praise you, we come because of the pathway that has been laid for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We enter into your presence not because of our merit, not because we are worthy, not because, Lord, we're somehow good enough or wise enough, but because Jesus Christ was good enough, but because he was faithful so, Lord, we are thankful that you hear our prayers on the basis of Jesus Christ right now. And, God, we want to ask this morning that you would fill our hearts with wonder and awe. That, Lord, you would cultivate in us, uh, individually and corporately as a church, as the body of Christ here, a love of prayer, a desire for prayer. Lord, an understanding of the neediness we have for prayer. We pray, God, that you would draw near to us this morning. That you would show us, Lord, the power that is ours that can be accessed through prayer that you would work mighty works in our midst this morning. We give ourselves to you, we give this service to you, and we pray, Father, that you would be glorified in it, that you would bless it, and that it would be a blessing to you and all those who are a part of it. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we want to encourage you to root our thoughts in the Word of God this morning. As I said last week, we, we started this series on um, really redemption culture, what the culture of the redeemed body of Christ ought to look like, and this morning the focus is on prayer. And we're going to be pulling out of the Lord's Prayer a number of different things. Now, I know we studied the Lord's Prayer not long ago. Pastor Brian preached on it and just did a wonderful job, and, and I trust it will be encouraging to you this morning as we dive back into the Lord's Prayer to see some truths that are familiar and uh, maybe this morning to put into practice some things that God is calling us to put into practice. Last year, uh, I was convicted that prayer was the pillar of our church that was the most neglected. And in, in reality, I think that the prayer pillar of every church is one of the ones that every pastor and every leadership team has to continually prop back up. It's the one that is most often neglected, most easily forgotten. And for whatever reason in the Christian life, it's the most difficult to put into faithful practice. And yet, when we come to the scriptures, we see that prayer is so incredibly important for the life and health of every believer and the life and health of every church that to neglect it is to do so to our own detriment. We've done a lot in the life of our leadership, uh, elders and staff, to begin to cultivate more of a heart of prayer. We've seen God be faithful to grow us in a love for prayer, and we are seeing God do incredibly uh, sweet things. Prayer should be so normal to every believer. It should be like taking a breath of fresh air. It should be so natural to the responses of life and life's circumstances that to not do it would, deceit, would be deceit, to be abnormal. 
It was Jesus Christ who said that my father's house is to be a house of prayer. And this morning, what I want to do is something that may be a little bit unconventional for a church. Uh, Thankfully, I'm I'm not sure if you knew this, but the format and structure of a church service is never actually prescribed in Scripture. Certain features, certain aspects of what is required in a church service are prescribed, um, but the actual format, the liturgy, and every church has a liturgy and a format they follow, which is good and helpful, but it's not actually prescribed in Scripture. So I'm going to mix that up for us a little bit this morning, and we're going to do something very unique. You didn't realize it when you walked in the doors this morning. You didn't just walk into a church service. You actually walked into a praise and prayer service this morning. And some of you are already kind of feeling a little bit strange about that, a little bit nervous. And I want to maybe disarm you a little bit. I want to encourage you to consider the value of this this morning. You see, many of us are used to private prayer. And, and we, we pray on our own and we pray um, in our prayer closets, our private prayer closets. And that for us is normal, but something Um, that we need to consider is the reality of corporate prayer, praying together, and the value that there is in that. If I was to ask you this morning, um, which is more important, private prayer or corporate prayer, what would your answer be? I hope it's yes. (laughs) That's like asking which leg is more important for walking, the right leg or the left leg? Now, for sure, like our worship, like we saw last week, our corporate prayer is made more powerful by our commitment to personal prayer. The more we pray as individuals throughout the week, the more dynamic and the more powerful and the more transformational our our prayers will be in a corporate setting. You can think of it like this. Individual plus community prayer equals true transformation. It's one of the design means that God has given us to transform us and to transform the body of Christ. It's also helpful to note that private prayer is cultivated and most easily taught in the context of corporate prayer. It's the place where we learn how to pray, where prayer is modeled for us, where we are instructed how to pray. The early church knew and understood the importance of corporate prayer. In fact, in Acts 2.42, we are told that they were devoted to, amongst other things, the prayers, plural. In other words, when they gathered together, one of the primary things that they were devoted to was a constant, prayerful, watchful, worshipful attitude. It was normal in the life of the church for the church to be praying when they got together, to be praying together. In fact, the church, if you remember, was actually birthed in a 10-day prayer meeting. Acts chapter 1 and right into the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we see that the believers, they gathered together in a room and they began to pray. And this was the very means by which God birthed the church of Jesus Christ. As you march your way through the book of Acts, which documents the life of the early church, what we see is so fascinating. The early church coped with crisis and persecution together on their knees. Acts chapter 4, 24 through 31 gives us a picture of this. As the church grew, the leaders gave themselves more and more, not to the administration of the church, but they devoted themselves to the ministry of the word and of prayer. Stephen, as he was being martyred, the very first martyr of the church of Jesus Christ, if you remember, as he was dying for the sake of Jesus Christ, he actually prayed for those who persecuted him. Through united prayer, the church trusted God for divine, miraculous intervention. Like in Acts chapter 12, when the church gathered in an all-night prayer meeting for Peter, who had been locked up in prison, only to find that God had faithfully answered as Peter arrived at the prayer meeting himself, knocking on the door, released from prison by an angel of God. They received ministry direction through intense seasons of worshipful prayer. And this is such, listen, it's such a massive contrast. This picture of of the church praying together is a massive contrast and conflict to our individualized culture. You see, most of us were taught that prayer is something we do almost exclusively on our own in some little private closet somewhere. But in reality, the early Christians learned to pray largely by praying together. J.I. Packer said this, he said, this prayer, speaking of the Lord's Prayer, is a pattern for all Christian praying. He says Jesus is teaching that prayer will be acceptable when and only when the attitudes, thoughts, and desires expressed fit this pattern. That is to say, every prayer, of course, should be a praying of the Lord's Prayer in some shape or form. We never get beyond this prayer. Not only is it the Lord's first lesson in praying, 
It is all the other lessons too. The Lord's Prayer is the model for the content of our praying. In other words, it unpacks for us a right way to pray, which actually tells us something about prayer. There is a right way and a wrong way. There are some ways and then there are better ways. But I want you to see too, what we need to embrace is not just the model of content in the prayer, but the model for the context of our prayers. In fact, if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter six, notice what he says in Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse five, he says, and when you pray, again, the expectation is that you will, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Here, Jesus assumes that his followers, his disciples, would gather in prayer as a regular part of their spiritual development. And what you need to see here is that Jesus is talking to a group as he says this. He's talking to his disciples. And all throughout this section, as he speaks of prayer, he uses plural pronouns. Over and over again, we see the context that Jesus is speaking to is group prayer. He's talking them, to them as a group, and he's calling them to an engagement in prayer as a group. It for sure does not eliminate the need for personal prayer. It's absolutely included here, but I don't want you to miss this. In many ways, what Jesus is doing is he's instructing his disciples how to pray together as a group. You can paraphrase it kind of like this. When you all pray together as my followers, do it like this. And to support this idea, listen, all throughout the Lord's Prayer, what we're going to see over and over again is that the pronouns throughout the Lord's Prayer are all plural. There's no me and I, it's all we and us. By the way, when Jesus in chapter 6, verse 6 there, uses the word a room, and some translations say a closet, the idea of going into your closet or going into your room, I think this has been really misunderstood and, and oftentimes wrongly communicated. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting the way prayer should look compared to the way the Pharisees did it. The Pharisees loved to be out in the open. They loved to make it clear that they were a praying people, that they were super religious, that they were super spiritual. So they loved to walk around and pray in public so everybody would look and say, oh, look how godly these men are. Look how much they must love God. Look how the blessing of God must be upon them. And Jesus is telling his disciples that our prayers are not for anybody else. They're not to please anybody else. They're not about our reputation. They're all about God and him alone. But that is not to say that Jesus is telling us to pray only on our own. It's not necessary or even likely that Jesus is talking about some small individual broom closet when he speaks of going into your room to pray to your father who is in secret. Rather, the word more often describes a room or an inner room where groups would actually gather. For example, the same word is used in Acts chapter 1, 14 through two, and 2 verse 1 where it talks about the, the early church gathering together in a room and praying together. And you see, what God is doing is calling his disciples to pray a certain way. And he's demonstrating that there are right and wrong ways, there are better ways that we need to be praying. And so his disciples, seeing this, they come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so I want to walk through a template for prayer for us this morning. Here's what we're going to do. Something that's really unique is we're actually going to um, apply. One of the greatest ways we can apply the sermon is not to wait till we get home, but to actually do it here and now. So, by the way, buckle up. We're going to be doing some praying together this morning. But I want to begin the first category, and I want to look at it here from God's word, and that's this, reverence, who is our God. This is where all prayer ought to begin. It begins with this idea of reverence and asking this question, who is our God? Who is the God that we are approaching, and therefore, how do we approach him? And the word that should be the umbrella over our thoughts of God is this, reverence. Here, Jesus in verse 9, says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
You see, why, why start here, Jesus? Why right here? You see, Jesus reminds us that we begin prayer by reorienting our life and mind around the one we are praying to. And what he says here is that he is our Father who is in heaven, whose name is hallowed, is honored. There is a sense here in which Jesus is calling us first when we enter into a prayer of, to God that our focus is upward. We turn and we look to the one we are calling upon. And you see, this reminds us, as we looked at last week's messages, and that prayer is first and foremost an act of worship. Jesus calls us to worship, as we saw in John chapter 4 last week, what we know. The truth about who God is, who he's revealed himself to be through holy scripture. And Jesus says prayer begins with the character of God, and we must fix our gaze upon him first. We're reminded as we just look at the simple words that Jesus uses that as our father, he is loving. He is a good father who loves his children. The word expresses care and intimacy. There is relationship that is personal and powerful. As one who is in heaven, we are reminded that our God is transcendent. He is above all things, which reminds us that he is sovereign and all-powerful and all-knowing. Nothing escapes his notice. There is nothing that is not under his power. There is a call here to hallow his name. To honor his name. And you see, that reminds us that our prayers should be infused with big thoughts about God. His name and the various names of God in Scripture communicate the various attributes of God. You see, our thoughts of God and our prayers to God, they ought to include an open Bible. We cannot know who our God is if we are not first seeing him faithfully, regularly with the Bible open delighting in the names and the character of God, being reminded of all that he is and all that he's done. It's the most important engagement in our lives and the starting point for every prayer. It's been said that what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because you see, focusing here reorients our entire being. It reminds us of who he is and therefore who we are. It puts, our perspe- it puts perspective on everything going on in our life, the circumstances that we face, the struggles, the trials, the blessings. This realigns our hearts and minds so that everything we pray is ultimately all about his name and his glory. That's where Jesus begins in this prayer. Everything we are, everything we do is to hallow his name. It is to bring him honor and glory. Some of you in here are maybe just checking out church for the first time or you're exploring the idea of Christianity. By the way, we've got a class coming up this week just for you. It's called Christianity Explored. And in many ways, it's about understanding who our God is in all of his character and what our God has done in redemption, how he has loved you. We start with an upward focus so their hearts stand in full attention and awe of the one we seek. The most graphic picture of this in all the Bible, I believe, is, is Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where God gives Isaiah a vision of himself in the throne room of the temple, where the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. He sees this vision of Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the pre-incarnate Lord. And as he sees Jesus on the throne, his first response is to bow low before him. He sees him in all of his glory. He hears the angels declaring, holy, holy, holy. The character of God is screaming out to him. Everything about his life is changed by a vision of God, by gazing upon God And by seeing him for who he truly is, it is only when he sees God for who he truly is that he knows where to go from there. Like the saints who gather around the throne, singing of his holiness, his power, his splendor, his might. 
I just want to remind you as we see the opening words of Jesus' prayer as he instructs his followers how to pray, that there is one enduring motive for prayer. You say, why, why do I pray? What is the, the all-encompassing motive for my prayer to God? It's very simple. The main reason, the primary reason we pray to God is because he is worthy to be sought. We pray because God is worthy and I got a list of, of the attributes of God that are going to be on the screen right behind me, some attributes and the names of the Lord. And, and by the way, this is just a glimpse. And every name that's given of God reveals to us some of his character, who he is. He's Yahweh the Lord, Elohim, God the Creator. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is Eloi, Abba Father. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is good. He is worthy. And here's where it's going to be a little bit different this morning. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to break up into small groups. Small groups of two to four people. And we're actually just going to take a few minutes. It's not going to be long. It's not going to be drawn out. We're going to take a few minutes to pray about our God, to call out to him and to recognize who he is who he's revealed himself to be. And so I just want to give you a little bit of direction in that. First of all, um, for some of you, uh, I understand, some of you are really nervous about this. You're very fearful maybe about praying with others. And I just want to let you know, listen, if that's you and you're crippled by the thought of praying before others, listen, you get a pass this morning, okay? We love you, we care about you, and we don't want to push you into doing anything you're not comfortable doing. I do want to encourage you and nudge you towards the reality that this is actually good for you. This is something God calls you to, and this is something you need not fear, but God will bless as you step out in faith. If you're an unbeliever here today, and, and this to you, you're like, this is super weird. I understand. Church is just super weird, isn't it, to an unbeliever? And I just want to let you know, listen, that you, you can just sit back and you can observe as we pray uh, as the body of Christ just for a few minutes together. Um, we, we want you to know that prayer is the, the, the lifeblood of our church in so many ways. Listen, church family, I, I need you to know that we are striving towards a culture of prayer here. That praying together, listen, for, you know what's strange? That this actually for some of us seems strange. <laughs> to pray together is, is a strange thought is strange according to the Bible. The Bible says this is to be normal, that we would gather, that we would pray, and that this is actually expected of the church of Jesus Christ because we believe who God is, amen? And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Um, again, um, break into small groups. Now, here's what we're not doing. We're not praying long-winded prayers. We're not going and, and trying to demonstrate our eloquence that would actually violate the previous passage that, that we looked at here. Here's what we're going to do. ABC prayers, okay? ABC, just so simple. Audible brief. Some of you are like, amen, hallelujah. Aren't you thankful God hears short prayers, right? <laughs> Audible, brief, and clear. We want our prayers to align with the scriptures. We want them to clearly reflect the God who has revealed himself. So, I'm going to encourage you right now. Go ahead, turn it. You can stand up if you want. You can just turn a little bit in your seats. We don't want to rearrange all the chairs because that's going to put somebody out between services really badly. Um, but, but just turn, and for the next, listen, three or four minutes, here's what we simply want you to do. I want you to find some people around you. By the way, if you don't like the people around you, just go find somebody you do like. <laughs> if you have gum, this may be the, the nice thing to do is to turn and pass that around, circle. And I just want to encourage you to pray. Listen, I'm going to give you some thoughts, okay? We're going to go right into prayer. This, is, this, is, this, isn't, your, this isn't your grandma's prayer meeting, okay? Where everybody, what's your prayer request? We're not doing that. Here's, listen, here's what we're doing, okay? I want you to pray prayers like this right now. God, I worship you because you are fill in the blank. And you just go around the circle and you just give something to the Lord, maybe a scripture verse that brings something, a character attribute. Look at the screen. God, I worship you. I praise you because you are this. God, I praise you and I worship you because you have revealed yourself to me to be this. Just go ahead right now. In the quietness of this moment. Amen. Go ahead and take your seat. Some of you are like, that was the shortest sermon ever. It's not over. It's not over. <laughs> we want to... Man, how good is it to have hearts just realigned to who our God is, amen? It's exactly what Jesus wants us to do when we come to our Father who is in heaven, to hallow his name. And flowing out of there, Jesus now gives us our response, and that's our second point for this morning, the response, what should we do? In light of who he is, what should we do? What should our response be? And here, the prayer 
branches out into the concept of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our response to knowing that our God is king and creator, that he is holy, 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 that he is the sovereign Lord of all creation. You see, our worship is the response of all that I am to the revelation of all that he is. And as we saw last week, as we have our hearts realigned to who God is, our whole lives then become a response, an act and sacrifice of worship unto him. The revelation of God to us demands a response from us. And we move now from an upward focus as to who God is to a downward focus in terms of what's expected of us. How should we respond? How do we want his kingdom to come and his will to be done in our lives in response to his character? It's important to realize that as Jesus calls for us to pray that his kingdom would come, that that implies some things, that our God is a king and he has a kingdom. He is Lord. God's kingdom has been, I believe, helpfully defined as God's rule over God's people in God's place in the midst of God's presence. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God can be summarized like this. It is God's rule over God's people in God's place amidst God's presence. The response to all of this truth of who God is, is a sacrificial surrender to God and a renewed commitment to obedience to his will. That's exactly what Jesus is calling for. The the idea that his kingdom would be advancing, that his kingdom would truly come in its fullness. There is an aspect of God's kingdom here and right now. Certainly there is a future kingdom that is to come where God will rule his people in his place upon the earth and his presence will dwell with us. But there is this tension that exists right now. You see, the kingdom is already and not yet. It is future and coming, but it is here and present in a sense. You see, the king resides in the heart of every believer, of every follower of Jesus Christ, and the king resides in the embassy of his kingdom, the church of Jesus Christ. Wherever the king is, so too his kingdom is present in a spiritual sense. And there is therefore a longing in the citizens of the kingdom a heart for his full and final kingdom to come. And that aspect is certainly present where we are, we are looking at the world around us and we're seeing the brokenness, we're seeing the devastating effects of sin and the corruption of sin in our lives and in the world around us. And we all can say, I hope with clarity and, and this morning with forcefulness that this world is not the way it was meant to be. And we long for another world We long for the day when all of this will be made right through the power of Jesus Christ, where our king will sit upon his throne on his earth that he holds together by the word of his power at this very moment, and all things will bow before him, and all things will sing the glory and praise of his name forever and ever, amen. When sin will be destroyed and death will die. When pain and sorrow and tears and terror will all be done away with, when everything on earth will be subject to the king like it is right now in heaven. That also means that we are praying that we will be conformed to his will in this world right now. This is a prayer that God's kingdom would come and be ever advancing in our very lives, that our lives would be conformed more and more to the will of our God, that here and now by his love and grace through his word and spirit, his kingdom would come in our lives in every way, in every corner. There is here the implication that we are calling out for God to use us in his kingdom. God, bring your rule through us, your people, your church. Advance your cause through us, your people, your church. And as you look at your life this morning, there's included in this, this cry for God's kingdom to advance in your life in some very specific ways. God, 
God, may your kingdom come in my family. May your kingdom come in my job. May your kingdom come in my neighborhood, in my city, and in my nation. And you see, this is where we begin to examine our lives and begin to ask the question, God, where, where is your rule and your authority not present in my life? Where is your kingdom not, not advancing in my life because I have not allowed it to advance in my life? And this is where confession of our sin and brokenness before God comes into place. You see, we call out to God with a sense of neediness. God, I need you to keep advancing your kingdom in my own life. His will be done. This is in many ways a prayer for personal obedience. It's a prayer for God to conquer every area of our lives and to bring them under subjection to his kingship. Again, like it is in heaven. And understanding this theologically is one thing. You know, I think many of us can say, just like we say of prayer, that prayer is important, God's lordship is important in my life, and we can say we understand that and believe that theologically, but when it comes to practically putting those things into place, we seem to be missing a step. There seems to be this massive gap between what we know and who we are, and the goal in the Christian life is to close that gap. And I want us to do this practically this morning. There's something sweet, and by the way, it it is just sweet to hear the sound of God's people praying together. My belief is that, listen, our prayers this morning, the sound of our prayers, the content of our prayers, that we are praying together is a sweet aroma to our God. He is so well pleased with his children who come to him in faith. And so here's what I want to do. I want to practically do this now. So let's get back into our groups, pass around the pack of gum again. And let's begin to pray prayers like this. Right now, listen, as the Lord maybe is revealing some areas to you in your own heart of where God is is not God, so to speak, where the Lord is not Lord, where his authority is not allowed, allow the Lord to pull those things to the surface. There are certain areas of every one of our lives that we wrestle with, that we struggle to submit to God, that we struggle to surrender to God, and I want to make this as personal as as possible here this morning, and I want you to be praying prayers when you get into your groups like this, like, Father, be Lord of my blank. For some of you, it's going to be something like, Lord, of my emotions, of my mind, Father, be Lord of my doubts and my fears, be Lord of my plans and my career. Be Lord of my family, my children, my spouse. Be Lord of my finances. For some of you, very specific sins are going to rise to the surface, and I want to encourage you to confess these areas of your life. God requires us regularly to make a fresh surrender of ourselves to his will. We desperately need it because of the battle that is being waged within our own souls and our own hearts, so I want to encourage you to do that now. Ask for God's will to be done in your life, in this church, in this community, in this nation, and in this world. So turn around now, getting back in your groups. And again, as you're doing that, maybe the lead out into your prayers, very simple, very short, very clear. You can keep going, by the way. If the prayer has stopped, just keep it going. Father, be Lord of blank. Lord, rule this area of my life. Go ahead, give those to the Lord right now. Lay them down at the foot of Jesus. Well, with our reverence and response in the right place, Jesus now moves us into this place of request. And he answers this question for us. What should we pray about? What are the things that we should be most concerned about, that we desperately need from God? And you see, we're reminded that while Our primary motivation to prayer is that God is worthy to be sought. There is a secondary motivation for prayer, and that is that we are needy. We are a needy people, and we go to the one who has all of the resources available at his fingertips, who invites us to come to ask him for good things because our Father loves to give good gifts to his children. And there is an inward kind of focus here where we are actually invited to pray for ourselves, our own soul, our own needs. And Jesus says in verse 11 and 12, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We do need to be praying for ourselves. We do need to be reminded that we need to pray for ourselves. 
We say this often around here that prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. A prayerless Christian is a Christian that essentially says, God, I don't need you. I don't need anything from you. I've got this. I can control this. I can make things happen for myself. But the heart of prayer is, Lord, I need you. I desperately need you. I cannot do this on my own. Without you, I have nothing and I am not nothing. God, I must seek you every day. As Jesus reorients our perspective, we're reminded that the, the primary goal in praying is to seek the face of God, not just the hand of God, but we are encouraged here and reminded here that while we seek the face of God, we can now rightly seek the hand of God. We can rightly now go to our God, reminded of all that he is, reminded of who we are and what we're called to be in this world. We do not really know what to ask for until we have worshiped well and surrendered completely. I believe that's true. I've seen that in my own life. This idea of worshiping God first and foremost, being completely surrendered to his will, not my will, his way, not my way. Now I can go to him and ask for things the right way. And here he highlights for us two key areas that we're to make requests. The first one is in the area of resources. He mentions here that we are to ask for our daily bread Our daily physical needs, in other words. By the way, this is not a a blank check. This is speaking of the necessities of life. Our Father knows all that we need, and he can grant them to us. This is praying for bread, not dessert. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that God cares deeply about us? If God cares for the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, if he feeds them, then he most certainly will care for us and for our needs. It's a reminder that there's nothing too small that you can't bring to God, that that God invites you to bring all of you, all of your life, all the time into his presence, that at every given moment of time, God knows everything in your life, and he says, now come and lay it down before me. Come and ask of me, and watch me meet your needs in power and in might. This is a powerful reminder that we are called to foster a daily dependence upon our God He wants us to depend upon him daily for all of our needs and to daily thank him for his gracious provision. You know, I find in my life that the more I pray for things from God and the more I end up seeing him answer and the more thankful I become as a result of it. But there's more to it than just our physical needs. You see, the idea of daily bread also reminds us of our spiritual needs. Bread is very often used in Scripture to remind us of the spiritual sustenance that is necessary for thriving and for health in the Christian life as a follower of Jesus Christ. The Word of God is called bread. Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. Jesus reminded us that man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so our call is not just for physical needs and physical sustenance, it is for spiritual needs and spiritual sustenance. We cry out to the Lord, God, feed us, feed us your sheep. We cry out to the Lord and say, God, all we need is you. God, you are the answer to all of my problems. You are the solution to all of the issues in this life and the next. It is an expression of conscious trust in God and the perfect provider of our needs. But the second thing he asks us to pray for are not just resources, but relationships. In verse 12, he calls us to forgive us uh, our debts. We ask him to forgive us our debts, and we also, as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, God cares deeply about right relationships with him and with others. This requires our confession of any sin that's revealed, leading to a confession and restoration, both vertically between us and God and horizontally between us and one another. Christians are a forgiven and therefore forgiving people. This is really a call to look into the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be conformed by it, to be transformed by the power of the gospel in our lives. You see, as we look to Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that's offered in him there, we realize that we are the greatest offenders in the universe against a holy and righteous God. 
But God, in his love for us, he turned and he looked upon us and he said, though you have rebelled against me, grievously so, I will love you and forgive you. I will shed the blood of my own son to make the payment for your sins. I will wash you clean and I will restore you back into a right relationship with me. You see, that becomes the model and the paradigm for all human relationships. For some of us in here, we have bitterness and unforgiveness that has been brewing in our hearts. We have been deeply hurt and deeply wounded, and I don't want to minimize that at all. And yet, and yet, as we hold sin uh, or bitterness and unforgiveness against those who have sinned towards us, we just need to be reminded that's just another way we're not like God. And we need to allow God to begin to allow us to release the burdens of unforgiveness and bitterness to Him. Let the gospel bring you to your knees and humbly lay, lay them down at the foot of the cross. And so as we turn now with one another, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray specifically for needs that you have, for the resources you're needing from Him. Talk to God about the various struggles in your life. Be specific. The circumstances that you're facing the trial that you're in, the relationships that are falling apart, the decisions that you need to make, the longings of your heart for the things that would please him, the challenges that you see on a daily basis. Turn these into specific prayers of trust as you surrender your needs and relationships to the Lord. There's nothing in your life that's, that's too big for God to handle. Our God is greater than your circumstances, amen? Our God is stronger, listen, than the strongest circumstances and challenges you're facing. Amen? There's nothing in your life that's not broken, or that's broken, excuse me, that God is not big enough to fix. Now, you just need to hear this. This requires great faith. God calls us to believe when we pray, to trust that he is able. And our lack of trust, our doubts are simply doubts that God is able, that God is not able to save my child, that God is not able to fix my marriage, that God's not able to give me victory over this sin in my life. That is fear and that is of the devil, that is not of the Lord. And we need to get on our faces together before the Lord, believing that our God is strong enough. Believing that God wants to change your life. He wants to bring healing to your relationships. He wants to bring healing to your past. So let's turn to one another now. Let's listen. Let, let the Lord stir your heart. Call out to God in faith this morning together. Call out on behalf of one another this morning that God would meet. Some of you in here, listen, some of you in here are in really serious problems and circumstances in your life. Listen, this is your chance, listen, to pray that God would intervene. This is your chance to let the body of Christ surround you, to put their hands upon you, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, and say, we're with you in this, and our God is greater. Our God can bring healing. Our God can fix this. So let's do that together for a few minutes. Amen. Go ahead and grab your seat. And this is our final section for this morning. And, and as Jesus has kind of led us through this prayer, it lands us at this final place. Out of reverence, we call out to God and we say, "Who? this is who our God is. And then our response is, well, what should we do? That moves us into a position to be able to make requests, and Jesus tells us what we should pray about, but finally, it lands us at this place of readiness. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here as we branch out into the world, as we've met with God in prayer? Jesus lands at this place. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here is where we are reminded that in the Christian life, there is an upward focus, there is most certainly a downward focus, there is an inward focus, but there is always to be an outward focus. We are reminded here that we are in a spiritual battle, that evil tempts us, that the evil one tempts us. There is right now an enemy of our soul who utterly hates us and despises us because he hates and despises our Lord Jesus Christ. There is right now an enemy of our soul who is not happy that God's people are gathering once again to bring honor and praise to the name above all names. 
There is one right now who exists to seek, destroy, and kill, to drag us down, and he despises the fact that we have called upon God in this very moment to seek his face and to seek his hand and to seek his power for the mission that he has given to us, his church. There is an opponent of our souls who wants to destroy any and all progress we seek to make in Christ-likeness. And you see, we all know that the time comes when we must get off of our knees and re-enter the warfare zone, and we must be ready for the battle. John Piper says, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. The verse that we have as our distinctive verse is Ephesians 6, 18. And let me just remind you that this verse comes right after we are called to put on the full armor of God, to stand firm in the evil day, to stand against the schemes of the evil one. Here is the thing that holds all of the armor of God in place. Here is the one critical component to making sure that we fight in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. It says in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. As Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is a recognition in this very last line of the prayer here of our own inability to overcome the temptations and snares of daily life. Be careful, lest you think you're standing firm. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And our call here is to run to the one who is our victory. As Christians, we do not fight for victory, we fight from a place of victory, and that makes all the difference in the world. We stand firm in the strength of his might, not in the resources of our flesh. We are praying to be ready through our trust in Christ. That's what he's calling us to do here. You see, prayer is not an escape from the battles of life, but a great equipping for the battles of life. We are given supernatural power, and the access to that power is found in prayer itself. And we are advancing right now on enemy territory. As the church of Jesus Christ, we're advancing on enemy territory, and we are reclaiming what is no longer his possession. You need to expect a fight. We are on a divinely given mission to make disciples of all nations. All the resources are already ours, and Jesus tells us that, for he is with us always, even to the ends of the earth. Amen? And I'm reminded of a prayer in Acts chapter 4, where the believers of the church of Jesus Christ gathered together, and they began to pray as they experienced persecution, as they experienced the attacks, yes, of physical enemies, but behind that, the spiritual enemy of their soul. And verse 24 says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. This is prayer, people. This is the early church. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And listen to this prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness.
The believers called out in prayer in the midst of the attacks of the enemy, both physical and spiritual. They asked God, the sovereign creator of the universe, to empower them, to to give them access to those resources. And here's how God answered his people who prayed so fervently for power to face the enemy. He shook the house and the spirit of God filled them and they marched out of that place and amidst all of the opposition and persecution they would face, giving even their own lives, they declared the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness. They advanced the mission. And church, we must believe that there is no way we advance the mission without getting on our face and on our knees before God for the equipping for the battle. But we must believe that he is faithful and he will surely do it. My prayer this week is that God would be shaking his house here. That he would fill his people with his spirit, empower us to go with boldness, that we would face the evil one and in this evil day, we would stand upon the victory of Jesus Christ and we would shout from the rooftop that you can find forgiveness and grace in him. Our prayer together as a church is, Lord, we cannot do this without you. Our prayer together as a church is, Lord, you must come and you must do what only you can do. We are weak and you are strong. So let me invite you to stand now. And as I pray, I want to invite you to pray with me. And let us trust together that our God is faithful. God in heaven, we stand with heads and hearts bowed low before you. And God, we confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. We confess that there is temptations that surround us, that there is evil that entices us. We confess and we believe, Lord, that there is an enemy of our soul who seeks to kill and destroy. But we also believe, Lord, that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We believe that you are Lord of the church. We believe that you have sent your spirit to fill us with power. And we believe that as your people, we have accessed that power even this morning. So, Father, would you shake us to the very core? Would you shake us out of our fear? Would you shake us, Lord, out of caring about our reputation? Would you shake us, Lord, out of the sins that entangle us? And, Lord, would you shake us by filling us and moving us out into this dark world that desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? God, we know that you are faithful, and we trust you. We believe that you are beating back the gates of hell and that you and you alone will prevail. So give us faith now as we sing to you. Hear our praise, hear our prayer. May it all be a pleasing aroma to you in Christ's name. Amen.